0: Welcome to In the Booth here on Sportsnet 650 with Brandon Bachelor, myself, and Randeep Janda, my co-host and colleague in the broadcast booth for Vancouver Canuck Games here on Sportsnet 650. And we've got a lot to talk about this week, Randeep. Canucks have won four games in a row, 4-1 through the first five games of their season-long seven-game road trip, and they capped it off in dramatic fashion. Elias Pettersson scoring in overtime to lift them over the Penguins 4-3 to on Thursday night.
1: What drama in Pittsburgh as well, where you had Eric Carlson, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang on one side. You had the lotto line. You had stars all over the ice, and the Vancouver Canucks not only come up with the W, But the Vancouver Canucks stars were the ones that shine brightest on that night. So not only the fourth win in a row batch, but what emphatic fashion they pick up the W.
0: And really emphatic fashion that they've played with over the last week or so. And it's funny because on last week's program, uh, which feels like a long time ago now, based on what the Canucks have done since then, uh, we were talking about what they might want to do prior to the trade deadline. And we were talking about, do you go get a centerman so you could move Miller to the wing and potentially have him on Patterson's line? And what does Rick Tockett do? He reunites the lotto line for the game in New Jersey. And really, the Canucks have never looked back since that moment and that decision made by Rick Tockett, which, look, this season was already tremendous for the Canucks. But if these guys continue to play the way that we've seen them play to this point, thus far over a four-game sample size since being reunited, this might be a game-changing moment in the Canucks season in terms of what we consider them capable of and what they might actually be capable of going forward.
1: So what you're telling me is Rick Talkett is behind the bench uh, with you before the pregames, and he's obviously listening to In the Booth as well because uh, that's where he gets his ideas. He subscribes
0: to it, uh, the Canucks Central podcast feed, as we tell people to every week.
1: I'd never never say that. Rick Talkett is, um, you know, obviously... Somebody that is pushing all the right buttons and for me, batch, I think when you start looking at that move to to move J.T. Miller to uh, the center position with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and what that's been able to do is a, it shows you how good that line can be. It shows you, you know the trust that he's got in those guys to play against the best opposition on a nightly basis and say I expect you to win those matchups, but the trickle down effect where now the second line looking very different, you have trust in that to say, Pew Suter, Hey, you're going to have some tough matchups. I expect you to take it. Dakota, Joshua, your line, you might get the Evgeny Malkin line uh, matchup. I want you to go out there and try your best and, and lean on that team as well. I uh, lean on that line as well. So, you know, it's not only about investing time and effort into the top line, the lotto line, but what it does for the confidence of the others. There's one way, right? It's meet pressure with pressure. That's something that Rick talk. It says, well, for the four lines that he's got going right now, he's essentially said, all right, this is how we're going to do it. Show me what you can do. And they are full of confidence. This is probably the most confident when we've seen them in terms of their five-on-five game.
0: Well, and that's a great point you bring up because I look at the lotto line and I say, yes, it's tremendous what they've been doing, all the points that they've put up. Uh, in the the four games since they've been put together, but if you don't have at least some level of trust that you are going to get good depth performances from your other lines, guess what? You can't afford to put those guys together, regardless of how good they are, because if your other three lines aren't reliable, then that's not sustainable, and you are not going to win hockey games. You can't just be a one line team in the modern NHL. So. The fact that the buy-in is at such a high level right now that, yes, you can afford to put all your top players on the same line, and you're still getting great minutes out of the Suter line, out of the Blugger line, obviously. Even the, the Niels Oman line over the past few games, I think, has had some good moments and some good minutes, and, and Niels Hoaglander had the two-goal game earlier in the week as well. So as much as the Lotto line are going to get all the love, and to a certain extent, rightfully so, because they're the three best offensive players on the team. They're producing at a tremendous rate and allowing the Canucks to have a ton of success. A lot of credit has to go to the rest of the group down the lineup as well for allowing it to happen.
1: Well, let me give you an example of that Pittsburgh game, right? You know what the top six does, but as the game grows, as the game you know, continues in the third period where Pittsburgh is throwing a lot of pressure. Some of those matchups look a little skewed because the high danger chances maybe creep towards Pittsburgh. Uh, but prior to that, the bottom six, Niels Hoaglander, Lafferty, Niels on that line. And on top of that, I would even say, in name, we call the Dakota Joshua, the third line, that line. But for me, it's still the Kuzmenko, Suter, and Mikheyev one to a certain extent because they're not eating those tough matchups. Those two lines that I mentioned were outchancing the opposition, which is a great place to be. Even though you're not necessarily producing, is the puck in the offensive zone? Are you able to camp out to a certain degree in the offensive zone? And even though the production's not their batch, that's important because those softer matchups that sometimes, you know, your, your lines, your bottom six lines might get, even on the road, when you're going head-to-head against the bottom six, are you winning those? And on a night like that, where you didn't get any five-on-five goals from the lineup, uh, from that section of the lineup are you still contributing in a positive way? And the bottom six is now in the future, as you look towards maybe a couple other games, Buffalo and Columbus coming up teams that haven't done so well this year. uh, This is an opportunity for maybe some of those lines to start producing as well.
0: Absolutely. It is. And we have to use the word opportunity when talking about the rest of this road trip, because the Canucks are four and one through five games and You know, it feels funny to think back on now, like how did they lose to the St. Louis Blues with the way they've been playing over the last four games? But you have a legitimate chance here with games in Buffalo, in Columbus, Saturday and Monday to conclude the road trip, which, by the way, for our listeners on radio and for people that want to watch the games as well, they're both early starts, one o'clock against the Sabres on Saturday and then 10 a.m on Monday against the Blue Jackets. Uh, you have a chance to go 6-1 and one on your longest road trip of the season. You're starting to really separate yourselves from some of the other contenders in your conference and in your division, and it really does change the conversation around this team heading towards the trade deadline, which I know we spoke a lot about last week, and there's still plenty of time left prior to the trade deadline, but the longer the Canucks keep playing like this, the more you look at this management group and say, okay, they've got to do whatever they can to complement this group because they might actually be capable of something special this year.
1: The next two games are, are very important, and I know you look at the opposition and say, okay, Buffalo and Columbus, they can't be that important, but the whole you know, idea to me is the last time they went on a road trip, um, there was thoughts of, okay, is this team – you know, you can't look past certain games. I think the Vancouver Canucks, this time around, compared to their last road trip batch, they're more business-minded. They're more, you know, they've got that, they've got their briefcase in hand. They've got their uh, their lunch kit, so to speak, in hand, where they're out there to do work and they're not looking at anything else. They're not focusing on much else. They're really locked in right now. So this is a chance for them to prove that further, where they're not looking past their opposition. Because you, me, and everybody in the city are going to be talking about how, hey, these, these should be easy games. But if you're a player, you got that tunnel vision on to say, take care of business, get the two points. We haven't achieved anything yet. And in that case, you mentioned management for sure, right? We're talking in the middle of January here where the Vancouver Canucks, as of right now, are tops in the Pacific Division. They've got 30 more, 30 more goals for than any other team in the Pacific Division. Think about that for a second. 30 more goals scored. And I know they've played a couple more games than some of the teams. But Batch, that is a staggering number when you start looking at the opposition. And here's the kicker. Their defense is really solid too. So can you do something if you feel like you've got a really good thing going here offensively and defensively, how do you add something? And that's a conversation I know the boys on all the shows are talking about already. The rumor mill is going nuts in Vancouver. We kind of engaged in the conversation last week in our own way. Uh, but this is, you know, the work that the team has done to put themselves in a position. And if you're a management group, you have to say, hey, the team has put themselves in the position. They forced us to, to look at potentially adding. And that most recent win against Pittsburgh is an example of that. Sidney Crosby's on the ice, and he's not the best player in the game. It's Elias Pettersson. That tells you you're you're cooking with something special right now. How do you take advantage of it?
0: And let's talk about Elias Pettersson because, of course, we've sort of generally spoken about how good the lotto line is. Has been. But Pedersen's on a four game point streak. He has a goal in every single one of those four games. He scored seven goals in the last four games. And, you know, saying this might sound like I'm discrediting Ilya Mikheyev and Andre Kuzmenko and Sam Lafferty and the guys that have played on his wings this year. And I'm not trying to do that. But you can really tell the difference it makes when elite players get to play. With elite players and Pedersen, who, you know, I would say prior to maybe the last week, some of the conversations were about, yeah, he's been good, but not as good as he was at the start of the year and he needs to elevate his game. He's not quite at the level that, uh, you know, people expect of him after his tremendous season last year. You put him on the line with Miller and Besser, and all of a sudden, he's gone supernova, and so have the lotto line.
1: Yeah, there are some staggering stats. You mentioned the uh, the four-game point streak. He's got 12 points in those four games. And on top of that, this one is the real clutch player gene. He's got four game-winning goals in the last four Canucks wins. He scored the game winner in every single one of those games, which is telling you, you know, this is a guy that's not shying away from the moment. And what I really love about his game in that line is that they just work so well together. There's a chemistry there where, you know, if there's two players that are are starting a breakout, um, the third player is driving the middle. They're going to go to those dirty areas and give an option in front of the net, whether it's a deflection, whether it's a backdoor pass, whatever it is. So those middle drivers, all three of these guys are playing that role when needed. And on top of that, you know, going shot for shot with the top line in a game, in the opposition, uh, whether it's the New York Rangers game, which is two really good lines that they have there. Vincent Trocek and what he's been able to do with Artemi Panarin has been great. Uh, Mikka Zibanejad on that top line. And who wins that game? The Vancouver Canucks in a, in a pretty good way. Barzal and Bo Horvat, who won that matchup? It was the lotto line. Pittsburgh against Sidney Crosby. Crosby had a great game, but in the end, the lotto line wins that matchup as well. And Elias Pettersson is his intelligence offensively and defensively is showing. And one more observation. Have you noticed how he's not falling anymore? <laughs> and, and, and the reason I say that, Batch, I'm actually somewhat serious here, is that I felt like, and maybe the lack of balance, like it felt like in certain moments, he's being pulled in a lot of directions because he has to do so much on that line with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, where you feel like you have to do so much, where here, you're not noticing that. They're playing very differently. He's looking very strong. He's looking very confident. And he... D- he can trust his line mates to do their job so he doesn't have to be pulled in all those directions. I think that is there is something there because Elias
0: looking a lot more confident on his skates. Absolutely, he is, and I think the the point about winning the head to head matchups against the other team's top lines is a very good one to make for a number of reasons. Here's the other thing that occurred to me while you were talking about that. This isn't just a, you know a great offensive run for these guys in four straight games, all four of them on the road, all four of them where the other coach has the last change, all four of them where you can't get your top line out in ideal situations. For the most part, there's always exceptions uh, and situations where you can still do it on the road, but if this is what they're doing away from home when Rick Tockett doesn't control the matchup, what are they going to do when they get back home and Rick Tockett does control the matchup and they've got a nine-game homestand in March? It's entirely possible that these guys are just going to absolutely feast offensively going forward.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting decisions ahead for Rick Tockett because he has options, right? The more you win right now, and I know there's a couple of teams that have played 38 games, but you know what the thing about games in hand is? You still got to play them. You still I, gotta... Yeah,
0: I would rather be banking points than being the team that's going, oh, we've got seven games in hand. We'll figure it out. It'll be fine.
1: How's that going for L.A. right now? You know, they've lost six or seven in a row. It's not going great. Uh, Vegas, they got blanked by Colorado most recently. This is not a an ideal situation. So, you know, you are still strong teams. Don't get me wrong. L.A. and Vegas is great. But when we talk about, hey, they've got games in hand, it doesn't matter until you pick up the two points. The other thing is, and continuing what I was saying about that is with Tockett, now you've got options because you can experiment a little bit. We've already seen that on the back end where Ian Cole has a, a maintenance day in uh, when he's in Long Island and they put Juleson in. Juleson doesn't play against Pittsburgh and maybe, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if, if Buffalo, maybe there's another change because he can do that. He can manage his minutes. He can experiment on how guys look with other players. Um, the same goes for the forward group when... As this goes on, as you, you have more options because you've been able to bank those points batch, uh, you might be able to go away from the lotto line a little bit just to, depending on the matchup, you don't have to go, you know, guns a-blazing the whole time. It really, you could work this from matchup to matchup to see what works. But right now, I wouldn't move away from it because it's kind of reminding me of, and this is lofty praise, but it is, you know, 2019 when the lotto line kind of took over the NHL, they were up there with the perfection line in terms of production. They were up there with the Colorado line where, you know, you had so much production. The lotto line was in that discussion, but it's been a while since, A, a line has taken over a city and the team has been successful, like really, really successful. Going back to the Sedin days, it's been a long time since both a line has been dominant in the NHL and the team was winning because in 2019, 2020, they weren't a successful team. Not like they're trending towards being now.
0: No, certainly not. And... You look at the Western Conference standings and the Pacific Division standings in particular, and this team is starting to pull away. Like, as of the end of the game on Thursday night against the Penguins, eight points up on the Golden Knights. Vegas only has one game in hand. Eleven points up on the LA Kings. Yeah, they've got four games in hand, but even if they win all four of those games, guess what? You're three points up. You've got all your head-to-head meetings left with LA to try and extend that gap. Uh, And we know the Oilers are surging too, on their lengthy winning streak here, trying to push back up and, and get into the top three in the Pacific Division. So the more you bank these points, the the more wiggle room you get, the more comfortable you feel. And this kind of goes back to me, to the very start of the regular season, you know, the very start of training camp, when Jim Rutherford met with the media and what was the line that we all sort of ran with at the time. We need everything to go right in order to make the playoffs. Tell me something that hasn't gone right for the Canucks this year. Yeah, they've had a couple of injuries. What team doesn't have a couple of injuries? But, you know, their goaltender's been healthy. Their top players have been healthy. They're winning. They're having a ton of success. Uh, I know of late their power play hasn't been good, but generally speaking, it's a top-10 power play in the NHL – And now that you've had this tremendous first half of the season, and we can call it that because we are officially in the second half of the season now after the games this week, you can afford to – sit in Ian Cole and load manage him as a veteran defenseman or a maintenance day or whatever you want to call it you could afford to start Casey DeSmith more often wouldn't surprise me if he gets one of the two final games on the trip either in Buffalo or in Columbus going forward you can afford to experiment with your forward lines are you going to keep the lotto line together or are you going to try some other combinations are you going to give some other guys some opportunity up the lineup All of these are things that are now possible for Rick Tockett, which is something that has not been possible for this organization in basically a decade, if not more, because they've always been in the fight. Even if they, you know, in years they made the playoffs, you know, go back 2015, go back to the bubble. Of course, they didn't have the, the stretch run in the bubble season. But even in those years, they were battling for their positioning. They were in the thick of the fight. It's really since the president's trophy winning teams that we've been talking about a club that can be front runners can afford to make some of these decisions because of the cushion they've given themselves and circling back to sort of taking it away from the bigger picture into what we're going to see over the next few days. That's why winning the final two games of this road trip are so important because they're games you should win on paper. You're playing some of your best hockey of the season right now, and you can just extend that gap even more and make it more comfortable for yourself going down the stretch in terms of how you manage everything to do with your hockey.
1: Club. Yeah, and selfishly as a player, nobody wants that long trip back to Vancouver when you've just you know lost the game. They, they want to end this off. They understand what they're doing, um, You know, picking up these victories against the toughest opposition in the league. Uh, you know, seven games, uh, seven wins in the last 10 games for the Pittsburgh Penguins in the lead up to that last game. The New York Rangers, uh, one of the strongest teams in the NHL, definitely the top dog in the Metro, uh, no problem for the Canucks. So there's a lot of good happening right now. But I, going back to your comment about, you know, Jim Rutherford saying that a lot would have to go right for them to make the playoffs. Credit to the coaching staff and the players to really, you know, up it on their perspective yeah. because – as a manager, I can understand a way you'd say that because the previous year, there was a lot of stuff that they still needed to correct. The players, the coaches, and the management team, for that matter, picking up the right players at the right time. You know, uh, uh, Sam Lafferty is an example of that where they needed somebody, um, and they end up doing that. With Mark Friedman, maybe he didn't get the longest run there, but at the beginning of the year, we're in a situation where you needed somebody to kind of add to that lineup. Noah Juleson wasn't playing great in Philly. They added at the right time, made the right moves at, at, at that point of the season, and it seems to have just worked together so well. So I think there's a lot of credit to be given, but we're still talking January here. There's a long way to go, and you know, you're know, you in the room, I'm in the room. It just feels like there's a mental switch that was flipped at some point, maybe through December, where this team clued in and said, hey, wait a second, we're not surprised by beating these teams anymore. And JT Miller said as much this week to say, we expect to beat these teams. Maybe last year, the last two years, uh, that was not the expectation. But this year, the mood is completely different, Batch.
0: It absolutely is. And uh, before we wrap up in the first segment and uh, next segment, we'll take uh, a bunch of your listener questions. So make sure to stay tuned for that. The other thing the Canucks did on Thursday by beating the Penguins is extended their record of wins when leading after two periods. They are now 25-0. and when leading after two periods. And that is impressive in and of itself, that when they carry a win to the third period, they are automatic. But look at the fact that they have carried a lead to the third period in more than half of their games to this point. They played 42 games, 25 of them, they're up in the third period and they're automatic. That is a big change from conversations we've had in previous years about this team either failing to hold on to leads or always having to battle from behind. And, you know, again, it's it's just a stat that is another one that showcases how far they've come and how much this group has changed and how consistent they are now and how well they're playing and they're buying into the staples and the structure and everything we've talked about all season. But not just that they're automatic when they get there, but that they get there more often than not means that, you know, you're right, there's still a lot of season left to play basically half the year, but even if that record doesn't remain perfect the rest of the way, they are still a team that when they take a lead, they know how to protect it. They are now a team that knows how to salt games away. They are a team that, okay, yeah, maybe they let the Penguins get one late and had to win it in overtime on Thursday, but they still won the game. They still found a way. And finding a way is something that isn't a stat. It's not something you can quantify. It's not something that you can say, okay, you know, we can track analytics and look at you know this team always finds a way because of this it's sort of an intangible and it's an intangible that you need come the postseason and that's got to be incredibly exciting for Canuck fans that this is a team that does not let other teams off the mat when they have them down
1: so you talked about that stat 25 0 and 0 after 40 minutes I'm going to add another one of 20 games this season the Canucks have allowed two goals or less and when I go back to one central theme around this team in both of those stats, to me it's predictability and trust. Where the last couple years, this team would get carved through the middle of the ice because they're all stretched out, they're all trying to do their own thing and in a way play hero mode with not attaching themselves to a system or playing you know, their, their style of hockey. Fast forward to this year. Those two things of knowing where your teammate's going to be, playing a certain style, has allowed them to do one of two things. When something does go awry, the second guy's not making that mistake. And that's not giving up goals. That's not allowing, you know, requiring Thatcher Demko to make a east-to-west save or Casey DeSmith to do that. It comes from a place of trust. So that's that you talk about, the 25-0-0 and the one I mentioned about two goals or less in 20 games this year, nearly half of the season that's been played, that comes from a place of, know where you need to be, uh, be, know where your teammate is going to be, and trust the fact that, all right, if something bad happens, they'll take care of you doing their job, but don't try to do too much. And, you know, both of those stats change. That's a change of mentality. That's a change of preparation. And that's a credit to, yet again, like I said, the coaching staff and the players who have bought in. It hasn't been easy because there was certain media availabilities last season batch where Rick Tockett was openly questioning of, what are we doing here at certain nights? These guys don't talk to each other. Some tough love, but they've learned.
0: They certainly have. This is In the Booth on Sportsnet 650 with Brendan Bachelor and Randeep Janda. On the other side, we'll dip into the mailbag and answer some of your questions that you sent to us ahead of the show. You are listening to In the Booth on the official home of the Canucks. This is Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to In the Booth on Sportsnet 650. Brandon Bachelor and Randy Janda with you yet again. If you've missed any part of the show, it lives as a podcast as well on the Canucks Central podcast feed. Make sure to subscribe to that. You get sat and reach every weekday. You get every Canucks postgame show, and you get In the Booth with us every week as well. Canucks winners of four games in a row getting set for the final two games of their season-long seven-game road trip. And the next of those comes against the Buffalo Sabers on Saturday afternoon, a one o'clock faceoff. The pregame show will get underway at noon on Sportsnet 650 and along the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll get to the Rose Ceremony before we're out of here, but first of all, Rand Deep, let's dip into the mailbag as we ask for questions from in the booth listeners and they once again delivered. We'll start out with a funny one here from Cavi on Twitter who writes in and says, the third line should be called the two-and-a-half-man line. Our thoughts.
1: Okay, when that show used to come out, uh, like, you know, brand spanking you, I'm not talking about syndication and all that.
0: You're not talking about after Charlie Sheen no, no, left no. and they kept it going and all, Kushner that.
1: and all that. I'm talking about the actual, like, you know, the prime of that show. Absolutely agree. Watched a lot of it. I don't know if Connor Garland's gonna like that one very much, though. It's, it's I don't know if he's gonna kind of buy in here, right? Like, we're if we ask him, let's just say this name was to settle.
0: I'm not asking him. I'm not asking. Who, I'm yeah. not.
1: No, that's that's a no for me, dog.
0: No, uh, as someone who is vertically challenged as well, I, I don't think <laughs> I'm gonna get into that uh, with Connor Garland.
1: I, I, I had my over. suggestion, right? The goal line, which is kind of very basic, but there's a double meaning there. Where hey, they're scoring goals, they're putting up goals as well but they dominate absolutely dominate below the goal line like that's where they've been making their money so very simple but at the same time to the point
0: let's see where else should we go here uh at notorious gman underscore on twitter writes in and and this is kind of a big picture one who can the canucks realistically re-sign in the summer and not to give you a non-answer on this But until we know the contract number for Elias Pedersen, and to a lesser extent, Philip Haronic, I don't know. Like, if the Pedersen contract comes in at a decent number, then maybe you can afford to re-sign more of your pending free agents. And you look at the Canucks roster, there are some depth pieces that have been important for them this year that are due contracts, Teddy Bluger, Ian Cole, uh, Dakota Joshua, Sam Lafferty's been good. He does off exactly. So yeah. you know, I, I not that I don't want to answer the question, but I can't answer it until we know how much cap space they have after they've signed their important players and the guys that they need to get locked down.
1: And on that note, though, right where we talk about those depth players, that's been a strength of this regime to find the right players on the cheap, or you know, building enough cachet across the NHL to say hey, I might consider going to Vancouver. Let's take the example of Ian Cole. Ian Cole has talked about how, you know, when he got the opportunity to come to Vancouver, it was a no-brainer because he thought they could win. I don't think many other people in the NHL thought that on July 1st last year, but there was a idea of, hey, I know the people that are running that organization. They've got some good players. I want to go there. I think that's going to continue after the season, whatever happens with this team, the way that they've been able to play halfway through the year. So I'm not worried about you know, picking up veterans or picking up players. Uh, this regime's done a good job of finding that, whether it's, you know, at the NHL level, the collegiate level, the CHL level, the f-
0: European free agent level. For sure. Zoman.
1: for sure. It's about getting that other business done first. And Elias Petterson, we can all speculate on the dollar amount. I'm sure he was, had a big grin on his face when he saw the William Nylander number, but overall, you know, that's the big one. Philip Ronick even has to wait for that, right? The Canucks, in a way, probably can't commit to Hronik's number until they have uh, Elias Patterson's number because you have to have a rough idea of what you're going to do there. So I'm not worried about that with this regime because they've shown time and time again, Batch, that they'll find those guys. They'll find those guys that maybe you are going to be third-pair defensemen that can fill out your bottom six and maybe even jump up into a top six role whenever you need them. Um, So it's about the big fish.
0: It certainly is, and it kind of dovetails into another conversation that we need to have. And Brian writes in on Twitter and says, passing halfway through the season now, getting towards the trade deadline, what should the Canucks prioritize? Another centerman to help keep the lotto line going? And we talked about this at length on last week's show. If you missed it, you can go back and catch the podcast. That's kind of where I'm leaning, and we were having this conversation even before they put the lotto line back together. But where I want to take this as well is, as the Canucks continue to have success, as they continue to rack up points, we need to start talking about them pretty quickly here as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, and so that, to me, changes the way that you have to view this trade deadline, and for many people in Vancouver, this is going to be a hard paradigm shift, because for so many years, it's been about selling. It's been about trying to accrue draft picks. It's been about don't trade away your draft picks and being frustrated when you know the previous management regime did make trades that were more short-term focused than long-term focused. But as this team continues to trend upwards, continues to win, continues to look good, continues to play well from a process standpoint, regardless of the results... Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin have to be looking at this and saying, okay, we've got a legitimate chance to contend for a Stanley Cup this year. What are we going to do to make our team better now, even if it sacrifices the future? And to be honest, I'm even changing my tune on this a little bit from where we were talking about it last week, where I want them to get guys that can help the team now, but you probably don't want to go get a pure rental because you're giving up future assets and you know, you you would like someone that could help you for more years to come. As this team continues to have success, the reality to me is becoming increasingly apparent that this might be the best chance that this core group has to win a Stanley Cup. They are all on pace for career years. They are all playing absolutely out of their minds right now. And they need to start focusing, the Canucks management group do, in my opinion, on complementing this team with the best players that they can to allow them to contend this year because you never know when the stars are all going to align again like they have this season.
1: Well, I was asked that question, I want to say two weeks ago, by Halford and Bruff. And my answer at that point was hey, you know, you should have a couple of other windows here, but are they going to be as good as this one? And now I'm with you. I think the answer has to change a little bit because something on this road trip showed that they can deal with the heavyweights.
0: And I want to be clear. I'm not saying that I think the window is closing faster. I'm not saying that, you know, they need to strike while the iron's hot because they're going to trend downwards immediately. I don't think that's the case. But reverting to what Jim Rutherford said at the start of the year, a lot of things have gone well for them, right? Like no injuries, knock on wood, to key players to this point in the season. That's not something you can bank on every year. A third line that is more like a second line. That's not something you can bank on every single season. And, you know, especially because two-thirds of that line are pending free agents, you might not have all three of those guys back together going forward. There's so many variables that are, that are you know, revolved around the future and what could happen and what may happen. And guess what? This team could be even better in the years to come. They could have many more chances to contend. But the only thing you know for certain right now is that they have a chance to contend right now.
1: And quite simply, for good teams to have success, generally this is how it works, you need a number of players to outperform their contracts. That's happening. Elise Pettersson is doing that on his current deal. Quinn Hughes... I wanna say the moment he signed that deal it was a discount <laughs> in a <laughs> lot of ways. He was outperforming it. And J- it becomes
0: a greater discount with every passing game.
1: For sure. JT Miller and I'm, those are the high end guys, but even the middle six guys and the depth defensemen, they're doing a heck of a job. Most of this roster is outperforming their contract, most of it. So you gotta take advantage of that. And you know, it's not necessarily to to say the window's closing as you're saying. It's more about you know, acknowledging what's going on this year. And part of it is Vancouver playing so so well. Part of it is also acknowledging what's going on across the league. There are probably about eight teams that are capable of contending for, you know, who you think could be a Stanley Cup contender, right? My point is, it's not out in the wide uh, wide open, where Vegas is going to be in that conversation, you got the LA Kings that are going to be in the conversation, but outside of that batch, in the Central, Winnipeg, Colorado, sure, you know, um, Dallas is, I wouldn't, you can definitely
0: put them on the periphery of that conversation for for sure. Sure. The
1: Rangers in that conversation, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are getting better, but they're underachieving this year. They're a team that I still want to see a little bit more from and the Boston Bruins and maybe the Florida Panthers outside of that. So that's a team of that's a group of what, eight teams or thereabouts. Vancouver is up there with the Winnipegs of the world and the Bostons in terms of being the best teams in the NHL. So you got to acknowledge that. Yeah. Amongst those eight teams, who's looked the best this year? Canucks are one of them. Canucks are one of the top three teams in the NHL. And we're not talking about a small sample size anymore. We're talking about more than half the season. And if you get an opportunity like that, and you can add an impact piece, short-term or long-term, I think you got to do it. Because these players have put themselves in a position to say, all right, they're doing something special here. How do you reinforce it? How do you add to it?
0: And so this circles back to the initial question that, we're dealing with here, and that came in from Brian, what should the Canucks prioritize? And this is the tough needle to thread for Canucks management, because I think it's a second-line center. That may not be easy to find on the market. With your salary cap situation, it may take a lot of um, you know stick-handling to make that work, for lack of a better term. But you have to be careful when you make these sorts of moves, because Sometimes it's small, complimentary moves that make the biggest difference at a trade deadline, and teams that go out and try to hit a home run don't have it pay off. How many teams in recent years have we seen take a big swing at the trade deadline and then go out in the first round? And look, the Stanley Cup playoffs are more competitive than they have been maybe ever. There are tremendous teams that go out in the first round every season. But you want to make a move that can help your team, that can make it better, that doesn't throw off the chemistry, that doesn't lead to any issues, whether it be on the ice or off the ice in terms of who you trade away, who you pull out of your lineup. Like These are all serious factors that this management group has to take into account, and I don't envy them because I do think this team has places on the roster, most notably that second-line center, and maybe some some depth-forward positions too to provide a bit more consistency on your fourth line. Um, and some more depth on the blue line in case of injuries is always beneficial. If you could add another defenseman or even two, I would never say no to any of that. But can you get all that done? What do you have to prioritize? You know, how is it going to fit into your team structure and the way that Rick Talkett wants to play? And I say this thinking about thinking back to 2011 because Mike Gillis, in hindsight was given plaudits and, and recognized for the moves he made at that trade deadline, bringing in Chris Higgins, Max Lapierre, most notably. At the time, those were not big, sexy acquisitions, but they were the right acquisitions to put that team in a position to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup, which, of course, they did going all the way to Game 7 against the Bruins. So what do Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin need to do to make those sorts of ads, to make ads that do add to what this team is doing and don't change the mix in a negative way, potentially.
1: Yeah, in regards to Brian's question especially, centerman is definitely what I'm looking at as well. I think with you know the ability to have one more centerman there where you're able to add a little bit more offensive pop, potentially on that second line, but a little bit more trust um, when you're talking about winning those matchups. Because I like Pew Suter. But we're talking about playoff hockey where it's going to be head to head. You're going to be matching up against some of the top lines of the best teams in the NHL. It's very different from one of 82, where the Canucks play Pittsburgh and then they play Buffalo. You know, in the playoffs, it's this is what I did in game one. Game two, we're going to counter and we're going to take advantage of the weakness we identified in game one and game two, right? Like, th- th- it's a very different style of coaching and it brings out a lot of, you know, really great things in coaches. It also brings out flaws in coaches and in rosters. So that's why you have to have that depth. Also saying that, though, what was the best move last year at the trade deadline? In my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree, Ivan Barbashev to the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Hard skill, winger that you don't have to build a line around him. He's going to play to you know a complementary role to a skill line. I look at the Vancouver Canucks top six. The lotto line is great when you need them together maybe it's full time they're going to outperform that second line still needs a little a little oomph in my opinion as well and they need you know something that Ivan Barbashev doesn't walk through the door because if he did you know the Canucks would have tried to sign him in free agency or traded for him or whatever so you know that's not going to happen this year he's not going to walk through that door however some hard skill in that top 6 in the playoffs is going to be extremely valuable i think the Canucks have that On the third line with Dakota Joshua, the way that Teddy Bluger plays, they have that with JT Miller on the top line. They have that with Elias Pettersson when he engages physically. On the second line, Mikheyev brings a a small element of that. But is that a playoff-style line as of right now, Batch? I would say no. I want to see a little hard skill uh, come through before the trade deadline. And who that player is? That that I can't answer right now. I got I to I gotta roll through the tape here, but that's that's the attribute I'd like.
0: I wonder if they really want to add playoff experience too because, look, there are some guys on this team that have had playoff success, that have been on deep runs. There are, you know, Ian Coles won Stanley Cups. Teddy Bluger's a Stanley Cup champion, even though he wasn't in the lineup on a night-to-night basis for the Golden Knights last season but for the most part this core group is untested in the playoffs and i can hear people yelling at their radios or at their podcast machines or whatever they're listening to us on their potatoes right now saying uh what about the bubble playoff run that's not what the stanley cup playoffs really feel like what they're really about and i'm not trying to take anything away from that run because i think it was hugely important for this city and the organization at the time that it happened but Starting a playoff series, potentially game one in Vancouver in April with a packed barn and an entire city and province that is completely behind you. Not that they weren't in, you know, the bubble year, but that you can see it, that you can feel it around the city. We all lived it. It was weird. Let's put it that way. Yeah. This will be completely different. I'm not saying I don't believe that these players can't come through in that scenario because I certainly think they can, but... Do you want someone that's been through those battles, that understands how to manage that, that can be a voice in the dressing room to calm guys down in hairy situations on what you hope is a long playoff run? And the acquisition that I look back to, we don't have a big body of work with Patrick Alvine in terms of what he might want to do, but with Jim Rutherford, we've got a massive one. And I'm looking back to 2006 when the Carolina Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup. And the big acquisition for the Hurricanes that year at the trade deadline was Mark Recchi. Mark Recchi, a veteran player, uh, a guy that complemented their roster very well and joined them and won a Stanley Cup. I'm wondering if that's the kind of acquisition. And I, again, I'm not going to put out particular names. I don't have a direct comparable. Uh, you know, different teams are built differently, so it's not going to be a carbon copy of Mark Reckey, But what do you think of when you think of Mark Reckey? long-term veteran, guy that understands what it takes, has had a lot of success, had a lot of success in his career to the chagrin of Canuck fans, of course, with his involvement with the Bruins. But, you know, using that... Past experience to try and draw on what Jim Rutherford and the Canucks might look to do this time around, I do wonder if experience is something they might prioritize.
1: Yeah, and I'll add another name to that. Very different uh, type of player, plays a different position, but Ron Hainsey was a guy that they picked up at the trade deadline one year as well at that point. On, with the Penguins. With the Penguins. Uh, and in 2017, the second cup run, and it's very similar. Well past his you know, best days as a player, but he brought something that they needed, and was a voice in that room, and, and there's notable other, you know, examples as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much thinking along the same lines, but is there a forward out there at this point, even if it's a rental, because you want to add somebody that, if they're good and you can extend them later on, that's, that's fine. You know, that's what Vegas did with Barbashev. They ended up re-signing him to a long-term deal. Um, but is there somebody out there that provides that, that you're able to get that experience, the intangibles matter, but Batch, I think just a little bit, kind of what they have on the back end with a Zdorov and Ian Cole. Just tough to play against. Carson Soucy as well, but there's an element to Zodorov and Ian Cole's game that is just painful to play against. In the forward group, can you add a little bit of that with some skill? And that's playoff-style hockey, where every forward check is going to hurt you in game four, five, six. Even though the hit you end up taking in game one, you feel it in game four or five because – You know, that war of attrition, who's that player that's able to inflict a little bit more in that middle six? And that's one area that I'd like to see the team address.
0: You know who the Canucks need? They need Rick Tockett and Adam Foote in their prime. Like, those are the two, honestly. And we joke about teams taking on the identity of their coaches, but Rick Tockett was a mean piece of business to play against. Adam Foote, same thing. Those are guys that had success that won Stanley Cups because they could play that way. And yeah, it's a different era and the game has changed and it's more about skill than it ever has been, but you still have to be able to win that war of attrition in the playoffs
1: you, for sure. You could throw another hockey ops member, Mike Comisarek, in the mix too. Not exactly <laughs> a, a cheerful character on the ice. He's a great guy off the ice, but uh, on the ice, not not very fun to play against either.
0: So that'll be a, an ongoing conversation as this season carries forward. Before we get to the Rose Ceremony, let's just take a look ahead. Uh Buffalo Sabres, Saturday afternoon a day game, which at times has given the Canucks issues. Um, but with the way they're rolling right now, the fact that, you know, they had a back-to-back situation with New York, uh, the Rangers, and the Islanders, and, and they outplayed the Islanders. I wouldn't necessarily look at that as something that uh, will be a big factor, but when you look ahead to this game against Buffalo, what jumps out to you?
1: Well, a couple of things, right? This is a, a Buffalo Sabres team that defensively has been all over the place this year. You feel sorry for their goalies, whether it's Comrie or Levi and all those guys that have been ha- had to play in the crease. A, a young team with a lot of skill, you give them room to operate, they can burn you, but this is a game where Vancouver should be able to take advantage. If they play to their structure and really limit giveaways, which is something that they've done the last two games, been very good at that front uh, for the last two games against the, the Islanders and the Pittsburgh Penguins, if they play that style, I really like the Canucks in this game. The other aspect is you mentioned the schedule and the early puck drop, uh, the body clock, has gotten used to the East Coast time zone a little bit for this team now. It's not like they're going straight to the East Coast and playing an early game. Yeah. Uh, So that is a little different than maybe some of the other previous games. It's a 4
0: o'clock Eastern time game, so yeah, it's not 7 o'clock or 7.30 like they've been playing, but... Um, you know, you, you would hope anyway that they're set up well for success. And then, you know, we don't really need to say much about the Columbus Blue Jackets. They've had a very tough year. Lots of things have gone wrong for them from the very start, you know, with the, the Mike Babcock situation. And that has kind of trickled down to their play on the ice too. So two very winnable games for this group. It'll be interesting to see how they manage the goaltending and the lineup if they decide to do any more maintenance scratches or anything like that. We'll have to see in the coming days but before we get out of here let's get to the rose ceremony Randy, and i'll let you go first this week who are you giving your rose to all
1: right it's been a long road back for him but i'm going to carson suzy six foot five defenseman for the vancouver canucks in the last few games he's been hovering around you know 20 to 19 minutes per game and if you start looking at the plus minus he's plus four but it's his work on the pk he's so good with his stick he's so good at getting in shooting lanes where him and Tyler Myers right now playing a very composed game, a very, you know, uh positive contribution to the lineup. And I think the Canucks understood how important he is to their team once he was out of the lineup because the PK didn't look the same. Now he's back in the lineup and that back end looks pretty good.
0: My Rose this week is going to Rick Talkett or Adam Foot or Sergei Gonchar or Mike Yo or whoever it was that suggested putting the lotto line back together. Because, uh, as we've already talked about, it has completely changed the trajectory of what this Canucks team might be capable of. And again, small sample size, so we don't want to get too carried away. But this line has dominated four straight games on the road, as we already discussed. And this was something that I, you know, earlier in the season, I would not have been an advocate of. And it was only really in the last little bit that, when Pew Souter came back into the lineup and was playing as well as he has over the last few weeks that I thought it might be something they could go to, but it has worked out better than I think anybody could have possibly imagined to put those three guys back on the same line.
1: Yeah, it felt like an emergency situation where you really needed it, you needed a jolt for the lineup, Uh, they've done an amazing job, but that also, you know, credit the rest of the team because if you put your big dogs on the one line and nobody else does anything, you're going to have to try to find balance in your lineup again. No, the rest of the guys have responded to saying, hey, if we're putting Miller, Besser, and Pedersen together, uh, we got to up our game, and, and all three other lines have done that.
0: So the Canucks will conclude their road trip and then head back home after this lengthy spell away from Vancouver In the month of January, as I said, 1 o'clock on Saturday the 13th against the Buffalo Sabres, Pacific Time. Then 10 a.m. Pacific Time, Monday, January 15th, a morning game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then the Canucks are home for five straight games before they head into the All-Star break. That's something we should quickly talk about, too. Quinn Hughes of the all-star game as of recording they have not announced who else is going to the all-star game but based on the vote counts that we've seen this Canucks team might have a chance to have five players representing them at the all-star game this year
1: and by the time the game is over on Saturday maybe even in game batch we'll have an idea of who's on that team that news is coming out on Saturday um my guess is I think it's going to be five. I do too. I think Brock Besser, uh, that one surprised me. Not to his efforts, not surprising me, but the vote numbers, Canucks Nation has really stood up and, and got everybody going. And so I thought that number would have been four previously, but the way that those uh, those vote numbers looked, I think Brock Besser's in as well. And there might even be a case for Philip Ronick and the numbers that he's putting up, but six might be a little too much. I expect to see
0: five. And we'll be back with you on the air on Saturday afternoon again, one o'clock, the Buffalo Sabres and the Vancouver Canucks. But that does it for In the Booth this week. Thanks, as always, Randeep. And we'll talk to you again next week right here on your official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.